Welcome to Living Free Today, a ministry of Cornerstone Fellowship in San Lorenzo, California. These podcasts are the weekly sermons of Dr. Michael L. Wilson. Please open your Bibles to Philippians chapter 2. We shall be looking starting in verse 17, 2.17, to the end of the chapter 2. As you read through the Bible, you can get certain insights as to what you should be doing. There are direct commands in Scripture. There are direct commands of how to act and how to think and what attitudes you should have. Another way of looking at Scripture is character studies because we believe the Bible has been written by the hand of God through inspiration of the Holy Spirit and there's all sorts of interesting, great, goofy and strange stories of people that are in the Bible. And we can look at that, and as we're reading through, we say, hey, wait a minute. In the Bible, Abraham is called a friend of God. I can say, I want to be a friend of God, so I can look at what Abraham did, and I can look at Abraham's relationship with God. David was called a man after God's own heart, and I can say, well, I want to be a man after God's own heart, so I can look at David as an example and how he had a relationship with God. Several great authors have written books called Character Studies. I remember when I was growing up, we had books by Chuck Swindoll, which were character studies of characters in the Bible with their good attitudes, and they were put up as examples. Now, I know that ever since I can remember, I grew up in church, and everybody always said, Jesus is your example, and that's true. Jesus is the perfect example, but sometimes it's a bit much, because we say, well, he's God, and he never struggled and sinned and did those sorts of things, and so... Some people want a more down-to-earth example, and so they look to people like David or Miriam or Abraham or even Paul. And Paul in his letters says, follow him, says, do what he does. And some people can say, well, that's, that's ego because Paul wasn't all that great. But it's clearly inspired by the Holy Spirit for him to have the authority to say, follow him. Now, if we look at the Gospels and you look at ancient Jewish history, the way things worked is there would be a rabbi or a teacher and that teacher would have disciples and then when that teacher moved on or died, those disciples would have disciples. And if we look in the Gospels, we see Jesus 
being a rabbi teacher, followed the same pattern of ancient Jewish teaching. He had 12, then 11, then 12 disciples that we call apostles because they were sent. Uh, Out, apostle means messenger, and so they were sent out to us, and they also had uh, disciples. And if you read ancient writings, you know that the apostle John had a very uh, prolific disciple called Polycarp, and he wrote a lot in the early church. Paul is talking about two of his disciples in this passage. Uh, And they are Timothy and Epaphrodites. Okay? He also gives himself as an example. And so, looking at what he says about Timothy and Epaphroditus, we, we can get ideas, perhaps, about how we should act. I knew a pastor many years ago who said that every Christian should have a disciple, and that's an interesting view. Um, I don't know many Christians who have disciples, but his idea was we all need to be speaking into the life of somebody else, that as we learn and as we grow, we need to be giving that wisdom to somebody else, and then they would give it to somebody else, and that's how it passes down through the 2,000 years since Jesus. One way that we do it today, one way that I am discipled, is through other pastors, is through books, is through podcasts, is through sermons on YouTube, and things of this nature. You can put yourself into a position of being discipled by the great teachers, you can also put yourself in a position of sharing your wisdom with somebody else. And so if we look at this passage today, starting in 17, Paul said, even if I am poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, There is in the Old Testament, in the book of Leviticus, a list of all the offerings. And one of the offerings was a drink offering. You poured liquid on the altar, and that was considered an offering. Now, if you go back and look at ancient uh, Roman and Jewish idioms and Greek idioms, there was an idiom of being poured out, and that was their way of saying uh, they are spent, they are uh, weak because of either sickness or exhaustion. Today we would say, I'm wiped out. Today we would say, I'm empty, or I'm spent, or things of this nature. And it's the same sort of thing. Paul has been through a lot. We know that he is uh, in a imprisoned situation. He is in his own apartment, but he is chained to a guard one or two, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and that's got to be exhausting. It's got to be difficult, especially if the guard doesn't like you and wants to 
you know, mess with you or punch you or keep you awake at night. And so he is being exhausted by this and he sees his exhaustion, his spending of himself as an offering, offering to God for the purpose of growing the faith of the church at Philippi. He is a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith. And he says, and I am glad and rejoice with you all. So he's not down in the mouth. He's not discouraged because of this spending of himself. He's not discouraged because he's out of energy and exhausted. He sees the result of it. And if you want to Think about things like Paul thought about things. He always had the view of looking at the end result of what he's doing. He was arrested in Rome and chained to a guard. And he says earlier in the book, that's a good thing because it gives him an opportunity to witness to the guard. And he says many people in the in the Caesar's personal bodyguard, are coming to faith. And so he doesn't look at his chafed wrist and he doesn't look at the fact he can't get comfortable when he sleeps and he, can't, he doesn't complain about all the bad things that are going on in his life. He said all of these things are causing people to be saved. And when people are being saved... It's a good thing. So I judge my current situation by how God is using it. Now, in any situation, I can say I want it to be different. I want to have more money. I want the weather to be different. I want to have a different car. I can say all these things that I want, thinking that situations and things and money would buy happiness. But what Paul does is all of that is inconsequential and he actually says in other part of the New Testament that he considers all that he has loss because people are getting saved. And if he is looking at the work that is being brought about by his imprisonment, he can count the number of people being saved that would not have been saved had he not been in prison. So he can look at his current situation as what God is doing. Now God has certain goals and certain plans of getting people saved and if he needs to put somebody in prison, if he needs to put somebody in a hospital, if he needs to put somebody in a difficult situation so that they can witness to that group that otherwise would not have heard the gospel, God does not seem to have a problem with that. It is us who have a problem with wanting to be comfortable while we're serving God, I want to serve God, but I want to serve God and be rich. Or I serve God and I want to be comfortable. I want, you know, I don't want to be in the desert. I don't want to be in the frozen tundra. I just want a nice little weather situation. And so Paul is sacrificing himself, as it were, 
so that people will get saved. And he considers what he is going through as inconsequential for the purpose of those being saved. And he says, therefore, in 18, you should be glad with me. You should look at my situation and say, oh, don't say, ah, poor little Paul. He's chained to a guard. Oh, he's millions of miles away in Rome. He's so far away. Instead, you rejoice because God is using what is going on there to get people saved. He then talks about two people that are with him. There are two people. There may be more, but there are two people that are Paul's disciples, that are Paul is mentoring, that, God, that Paul is training, that Paul is giving what he has learned, and they are Timothy and there are Epaphroditus. Now, Timothy, we know. We know Timothy because Paul wrote two letters to him. First and second, Timothy. Timothy was a son of a Jewish woman that became a Christian. So from a very early age, Timothy's mother and Timothy's grandmother taught him the scriptures. And so when Jesus Christ was revealed and Paul was able to explain to Timothy's family who Jesus Christ was and how he fits into the Old Testament story, they were able to come to a saving faith in Jesus Christ. Ultimately, Timothy became the pastor of the church at Ephesus. And so when you're reading the book of Ephesians, that is a book that was read probably by Timothy during the Sunday morning service. So Timothy is all over the New Testament. Paul considers him a son of the faith. He considers him his own son. Timothy had a Greek father. We do not believe that Timothy's father knew Jesus Christ. And so Paul took him under his wing and mentored him. And so you have two sides of the same coin. Paul picked Timothy through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit and was teaching him and mentoring him. And Timothy was wanting to know what God had for him, was able to receive what Paul was giving. And Paul explains who Timothy is and Epaphrodites is, and it's possible that we can look at these and go, yeah, that's something that I want to be. That's something that I want to do. He is going to be sending Timothy. Uh, so Paul is in a Roman imprisonment, and you just can't walk out of that. So Paul doesn't know how long he's going to be there. They have a different system than we do. Paul did not have a lawyer, okay? You watch all the TV shows, and if the police ask you anything, you're supposed to say, lawyer, okay? Paul, they, they wouldn't care back then, okay? The Romans did whatever they wanted to anybody. And so Paul is in prison, and he speculates that he might be let go soon. He kind of hears these rumors, but he's not sure. So in the meantime, He's going to send Timothy, and he's going to send Timothy as Paul's representative. Paul is saying to the church at Philippi, 
When Timothy speaks, I am speaking. When Timothy teaches, I am teaching. Paul had such a trust in his disciple that he was a full, absolute representative of Paul when he was in Philippi. He absolutely trusts Timothy with everything. He doesn't have to check on him. He is not a helicopter discipler, okay? He is not, you know, checking on him every five minutes. Of course, we can do that more today than he could back then. He believes that the teaching that he has given Timothy has been received so that Timothy can go and be Paul's representative in Philippi. He gives seven things that are about attitudes, that are about Timothy, that allow Paul to trust Timothy and send him on his way. The first is, he has a kindred spirit with Paul. When it comes to the gospel, when it comes to the interpretation of scripture, Timothy and Paul are on the same page. Now, they may not like the same sort of ice cream. They may not like have, have the same favorite color. These sorts of preferences of life didn't matter. But when it came to who Jesus Christ is, how to interpret scripture, how to read the Old Testament looking for Jesus, they were on the same page. They were believing and understanding the same thing, and they had the same love for other Christians and the church at Philippi. They were of kindred spirit. The second is that Timothy was sympathetic. He understood what true needs were. He was able to look at somebody's situation and really empathize with them and bring in the gospel and bring in the love of Christ for the purpose of making their situation better. He was single-minded for the gospel. If you look at the world, there is one thing that can make the world better, and that is Jesus Christ. That is the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is the only thing that will answer the political conflicts and the economic conflicts and the accusations and the offense and the hatred that is going on is that you need to bring Jesus Christ into the conversation. Of course, today Jesus Christ is the most offensive being you can bring into a conversation, but yet we try. We still share. We know that it is because of Jesus Christ, I am who I am, and I can do what I can do. And I tell that story, and as you know, that story is called a testimony. If you talk about what Christ has done to you and for you, that is a testimony. And everybody needs to have a testimony. And people have looked at it and they say, yeah, every testimony needs to be two minutes or less, because we have no attention span today. So you need to get to the point with your testimony, and that's very good. Timothy was also seasoned. He had been through a lot. 
He was raised in a conflicted household. He had Jewish on the female side and Greek on the male side. He had a mixture of cultures and a mixture of families. And he still came out of it understanding and with stories. He didn't deny his past. He said his past brought him to this. And so he could talk about where he's been. He could talk about the unbelievers in his life, not with great judgment, but with understanding that God's hand had been on him every step of the way. There is a way of looking at the world today, and that is I can do whatever I want, and when I get stuck, I'll call to God for help. God is a life preserver. The true way, the biblical way of looking at the world is that God is very involved in everybody's life. God is a micromanager, and you say, well, isn't he busy, but God is infinite, and God is all-powerful, and you can't overwork him. He can spend unlimited time with every single person individually and have it be loving and compassionate and true. And that is who God is. And the fact that somebody ignores God or says, I don't believe in God, doesn't affect God. God is still very involved in their life. God is working to get them saved. God wants everybody to be saved, and that's why he moves people into different situations to spread the gospel. Timothy was also submissive. He wasn't a slave to Paul, but he recognized that Paul had authority over him, and so he was submissive to Paul's authority. He was submissive to the authority of Scripture. He didn't go off and, and do his own thing or create a new denomination or do things to make himself good and to advance himself. He submitted to the authority and the structures that were there. Sixth, he was sacrificial. Paul is sacrificing much for the gospel. And so what did Timothy do? He went and he went and he visited Paul in Rome. Now, that wasn't a, a short trip. How did you get places 2,000 years ago? You went by boat, okay, if you could go by boat, and that took months. You could ride a donkey if it was across town, and that was, would take hours. Or you could walk. And that's why Jesus walked most of the places he was. And so it took the better part of a day to get from one side of town to the other. And so Timothy knew this. And so he got on a boat and walked and he visited Paul in Rome. It was very important for him to be with Paul, to see him, to minister to him, to perhaps bring him food to perhaps bring him uh, medical attention because Paul's captors didn't care. And so in doing that, he was willing to sacrifice himself for others. He was able to see somebody else's need and sacrifice of himself to take care of it. And Paul is saying, 
This is fantastic. This is one of the reasons he loves Timothy is because he is so giving. Because when we think of the ultimate sacrifice that we follow, it is the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And if you've ever sacrificed more than Jesus Christ, then I'll talk a bit about you can take a break. But until then, we have to sacrifice of ourselves for the benefit of others. And lastly, he is available. Timothy is going to Paul to say, what can I do? He is volunteering his services. He is saying, what is the work that needs to be done? Because Paul is tied up and Timothy is saying, well, I am going to do it. And so these sorts of things we can look at and we can say, in my relationship with Jesus Christ, how much am I single-minded for the gospel? How much am I submissive to what the gospel is saying? How much am I sacrificing for the gospel? When it's all said and done, I remember a class in, in seminary where they said, they went to the end of the book of Revelation where all the books were opened and when people's lives did not measure up to God, then Jesus said, open the last book, which is the Lamb's book of life and your name's in that, then you're saved for all eternity in glory. And he was saying, you read the entire scripture with a view of eternity, the most important thing you can do is get your name written in that book. You should be willing to sacrifice everything to get your name written in that book because if your name is written in that last book, then you're set for all eternity. There's no work, there's no struggle, there's no pain, there's no death. It's all glory when it's all said and done. And that's the same for everybody. I can make people, you know, I can make them laugh. I can make people happy. I can do things. I can, you know, give money to people. I can give comfort to people. But if I don't get their name written in that book, then they're going to go to hell in full comfort. Okay? We need to be people who are single-minded for the gospel when we are interacting with other people. The second person that Paul talks about is Epaphroditus. Epaphroditus is a Greek name. This person was clearly a Gentile, okay? Somebody who was from a Greek family. Epaphroditus is not a Jewish name. Jacob is a Jewish name, Epaphroditus is a Greek name, and so this person gained knowledge of Jesus Christ probably through Paul's witness, Paul's witness to the Greek and Roman world, Epaphroditus came to faith. And so he also went to Rome from parts unknown. He may have gone with Timothy, and both of them go to comfort Paul and to learn from Paul and to uh, give him care because there are, you know, as I said, the Romans don't care. And so Paul calls Epaphroditus his brother. He calls Timothy his son. 
because Paul was there from his inception with Christ. Okay, and he has led him every step of the way. Epaphroditus is his brother, meaning that he probably learned about Christ adjacent to Paul or from somebody else, and then he saw Paul and said, I want to team up with you. I want to be there with you. He is a fellow worker, so Paul is working for the gospel, so is Epaphroditus, and he's a fellow soldier. There is the idea that we are in conflict. We are in conflict against the world. We are in conflict against Satan in our lives as Christians. And so the, the whole onward Christian soldiers idea does exist in the Christian mindset is that what we're doing is a battle. We battle against our own sin nature. We battle against the sin of the world and we battle ultimately against Satan. Now, Epaphroditus had a problem. Epaphroditus got sick, and it doesn't say what his sickness was, but it was a sickness that was something that you look at and said, you shouldn't travel, okay, is the sense. And he said, nah, I'm going to go visit Paul. So in a sick state, Okay, he goes and he gets on a boat or he gets on a donkey and he goes over there and he visits Paul and Paul says it's so bad that he almost died and we don't know if the trip almost killed him or if it was, you know, whatever bacteria thing he had that they didn't know. That was, it was an indeed in verse 27, he was ill near to death. Okay, but God had mercy on him. Who is the healer of Scripture? It's not me, it's not you, it's God. God is the healer of Scripture. If we know somebody who is sick and sick unto death, we pray. And we pray for God to heal them. And sometimes God will heal. And other times God will not. God will choose by God's own good pleasure who he heals and who he does not. But he, he risked, and he said, Paul said, God had mercy on him and healed him, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. So Epaphroditus was dear to Paul, and Paul would have been heartbroken if he would have died, but he did not die. God healed him. And it says in verse 30, for he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life. And the word risking is a word that is used in ancient Greek to mean the throwing of dice or the casting of lots. Uh, back then, many people threw sheep knuckles. If you want to know where modern dice came from, if you ever see a sheep knuckle, it has six sides. And it is believed that people started throwing sheep knuckles and then somebody started manufacturing dice. The, but it is, a, it is a gambling term, for he nearly died for the work of Christ. He gambled his life to complete what was lacking. And people throughout the period of time of this have looked at this. Uh, there was a group... Uh, in, in 252 A.D., I don't know if you study the plagues of the world, 
their major plague in Carthage, okay? Thousands of people died. There was a group who called themselves the Parabolini. Parabolini means the gamblers. And they went in the name of Epaphroditus and went into the homes and ministered to the people struck by the plague. They were going where doctors refused to go. They were going where priests refused to go. And they were going in and helping people. And if somebody died in the home, they were able to take them out and give them a proper Christian burial. And this group of people saw what Epaphroditus did in relationship to his health. In other words, his health was inconsequential to the gospel. And they said, if it's good enough for him, 200 years later, it's good enough for me. And if you look at every major sickness that has happened in the world, every major plague... Christians were always the first to fly in and to give comfort and to feed the hungry and to care for the sick because if God is calling me to go into a plague-ravaged area, who am I to say that there's somebody in there who needs to hear the gospel and only if I go will they be able to hear the gospel. And people are saved in places like Carthage in 252 because Christians went in and prayed over them and shared the gospel as people were sick and dying on their deathbed. People were accepting Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. When we look at the people like Timothy and Epaphroditus and even Paul, I have to ask myself, am I prepared to sacrifice? Do I measure up to this example? Do I measure up to what Paul is telling me? Ultimately, Jesus Christ is my example. And the whole what would Jesus do movement is built on Jesus Christ being my example. But there are also other examples. There's the example of Paul. There's the example of Timothy. There's the example of Epaphroditus. We don't know what happened to Epaphroditus, but we know Timothy in his Ephesian church saw some of his church members in a crowd that was going to the temple of Diana. And he goes out into the street and tries to pull his church members out of the crowd of idol worshipers. And they go and they trample him to death. And he was martyred by a group of idol worshipers on the streets of Ephesus because he was trying to get his church members out of that cult. We must be willing to do whatever God tells us to do, to whatever God reveals to us in Scripture. We must be available and willing and single-minded for the gospel. Let us pray. Lord God Almighty, we praise you for these examples. We praise you for 
the stories of how people have given all for the purpose of the gospel. And I pray that you would, in our hearts and in our minds, bring us to the place where we are willing to sacrifice all for the gospel. For the only thing that matters at the end of time is if our name is written in the book of life. I pray that we would believe that that we would understand that and we would go here rejoicing in that. I ask your blessing upon the remainder of the day and the meal that follows. We ask this through the blood of Christ. Amen. Cornerstone Fellowship is located at 180 Llewellyn Boulevard, San Lorenzo, California. Our Sunday morning service is at 1045 a.m. Our website is livingfreetoday.org and our phone number is 510-278-2622. May God continue to bless you as you serve your King. God bless.